Before the show, a quick word from our sponsor. Blockstacks, if you haven't heard of them, they have been building decentralized tech on top of Bitcoin for a very long time. They are launching a brand new sidechain for Bitcoin. It is Stacks. Stacks, again, it used to be called Blockstack. It unlocks a ton of new use cases and functionality for the world's most well-known, most secure, and most important blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain. Without modifying Bitcoin at all, Stacks 2.0 blockchain allows Bitcoin to scale with the Clarity smart contracting language that was designed by Stacks developers and Algorand developers in order to make Bitcoin more scalable and programmable. Developers can now build on the capital security and immutability of Bitcoin and explore a world of Bitcoin-based DeFi and decentralized applications. Proof of Transfer, or POX, is a groundbreaking consensus mechanism that makes it all possible. POX connects the Stacks blockchain to Bitcoin, so that is how you get that Bitcoin native currency on the Stacks blockchain and it enables mining and staking. So STX holders who are, you know, helping the Stacks blockchain maintain consensus, they actually earn BTC rewards. So you get paid in Bitcoin and the entire ecosystem is denominated in Bitcoin. So it's a blockchain where Bitcoin is money, Stacks, apps and smart contracts on Bitcoin. For more information and to register for their Stacks to launch event, go to stacks2.com. That's stacks, S-T-A-C-K-S, followed by the number two, dot com. Live from Utrecht, this is the Van Willem Schorznedo. Hello. 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 Ruben, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be back. We're going to discuss drive chains today, and you are our in-house drive chain expert well i'm not quite paul stortz but i'll, I'll try my best <laughs> stortz substitute yep yeah you, you've designed your own sidechain type of solutions so you're at least sort of thinking about this kind of stuff on a regular basis that is true yeah i've done a lot of thinking about this so you're gonna help us out today yep. okay well so drive chain episode that obviously means we're gonna spend most of the episode complaining about how bitcoin core doesn't want to make any changes yep Absolutely. <laughs> That's a joke. I actually really like Paul. I lo- he's one of my favorite people to listen to, but he, he does go on tangents sometimes. Yeah, hopefully uh, we'll be able to kind of give a different perspective from Paul's perspective. I think it's always good to hear multiple explanations from multiple people. So this, this hopefully helps people to understand drive chains more deeply. Okay, so let's get into it. First of all, so drive chains are a type of side chains. We've already discussed sidechains on this podcast, I mm-hmm. think, twice now. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, let's very briefly mention the benefits of sidechains. Do you want to go? Yeah, Ruben. Okay. Yeah, so basically, this is a two-way packed sidechain, meaning that you can actually move Bitcoins in and out of this chain. Chain itself kind of runs completely separately. So there's no attachment in terms of consensus or anything like that. So you can either run the Bitcoin blockchain and the sidechain or just the Bitcoin blockchain. But anyone who wants to run the Bitcoin blockchain does not have to necessarily care about the sidechain unless they want to use it. And the kind of nice thing about this is that you can have any kind of chain with any any kinds of consensus rules. You could have an Ethereum chain, you could have a Zcash chain, anything like that. And now you can move your Bitcoins to it and do whatever you want with it and then move back to Bitcoin again. 
Yeah, so drive chain is more of a concept of a sidechain. It's not a specific sidechain. It's yeah. a way to do sidechains. Yeah. And they have, I think, two sort of test net sidechains right now. One of them is like the big block sidechain. Yeah. Or is it even test net? I think so. Right? Yeah, it must be. They, so they are definitely tested there. there. There are no real Bitcoins on there as of yeah, right exactly. now. Yeah. So one, they have a big block version and they have a Zcash version. Yeah, that's right uh, now, what I, I believe. Yeah, I think back in 2017, I briefly experimented with the version of drive chains they had then and tried to make like a gigabyte chain just to see what would happen. Oh, okay. I started messing with the consensus code and it was really difficult, as you can imagine. Yeah. And I actually found not a bug, but like a lacking thing in the tests, in the test suite for it mm. that was making it really hard to debug. And I made a pull request to Bitcoin Core. And that's actually how I got massively distracted into contributing to Bitcoin Core and didn't pay attention to the drive chains anymore. Oh, wow, really? That's just a little backstory. <laughs> that's crazy. Right. Well, but anyways, to sum it up, so a sidechain, including drive chains, are a way to use Bitcoin on a different blockchain with different rules. Yeah. Another benefit I want to mention, because this is something Paul likes to mention, is that the sidechain, on the sidechain, users still pay fees. And these fees would ultimately go to Bitcoin miners, which arguably helps security of the Bitcoin network. Yeah, and that that's specific to the way that Paul suggests doing consensus for drive chains for, for these separate blockchains. And that's through blind merge mining, which we also did an episode about blind merge mining in a perpetual one-way peg. And so in that specific proposal, the any type of merge mining, really, the fees would go to the Bitcoin miners. Uh, theoretically, you could also do it as a completely separate proof-of-work consensus mechanism, and then the fees wouldn't necessarily go to the Bitcoin miners, but just the, the person who mines the sidechain. Right. Yeah, I think for DriveChain, there are two main innovations, two main proposals, mm -hmm. which are BIPs 300 and 301. Yeah. One of them is merged mining, and the other one is the pegging in, pegging out mechanism. Yeah, three, 301 is light merge mining, and 300 is the pegging out mechanism mainly yeah and pegging in, i guess yeah right so should we discuss the blind merge mining part we could we, we already covered it in previous episodes but i think it's yeah. worth at least sort a of a little recap yeah a little recap yeah. who wants to give it a go um, yeah so the the idea of blind merge mining let's first say the idea of merge mining right is that a bitcoin miner also mines another chain and then they they put something in the bitcoin chain to indicate that they've mined that other chain and this means that the Bitcoin miner has to run software for Bitcoin as well as this other chain. And the problem with that is that let's say these, these side chains become really profitable, then because miners are competing, then every miner has to essentially run all these nodes for all these side chains. Yep. And, and that means they have to do a lot of validation work. And that's exactly what we want to prevent, basically. Why? Well, because we want miners to be able to be in very bad circumstances, say behind a Tor node in the middle of nowhere on the moon, and still be able to produce blocks without getting orphaned and without having to download terabytes of data from Earth. Right. So what blind merge mining tries to solve this problem by saying, well, dear miner, just put this hash in the blockchain, and that could either be in the Coinbase or some other way. And if you do that, you don't have to care what that hash means. Just put it in there and we'll give you some money to do that. That's the essence of blind merge mining. So that means the miners, in theory, do not have to check anything on these other chains. And so it would not drive up the cost for miners. Yeah, I have nothing to add to that. I think that's exactly right. So specific to drive chains, it's via the Coinbase. So it's kind of a specialized soft fork. 
in order to implement this blind merge mining uh, mechanism. It's not necessary to use it for drive chains. You could also use it for, for other types of chains. And it's, it's very similar to my blind merge mining proposal, which is, in a sense, uh, it's an, uh, a derivative of, of Paul Storz's work. But the difference is there that you don't really need a specialized soft fork. So that's nice. But so need, why yeah. does Paul's version require a soft fork? Well, technically, it no longer does because he could utilize my work. Well, yes. Without making yeah. it more complicated, let's assume he cannot utilize your work, which also requires yeah. a soft fork. Yeah. It, well, yeah. It it requires a yeah non-specialized soft fork. So at least you don't you don't need to change anything about Bitcoin consensus specifically for enabling light merge mining. Yeah. I, what I liked about the current version of that bit proposal is that it it allows sidechains to propose blocks to Bitcoin miners. So essentially, you have people on the sidechain who want to see a new block in the sidechain, and they give a hash to the Bitcoin miners. But they can offer multiple. I think multiple sidechain miners can offer blocks to various Bitcoin miners in a sort of an auction process. Mm -hmm. And without like going into too much of the game theory, one interesting aspect of that is that you could use Lightning or a slightly modified version of Lightning to do this. Because the nice thing about Lightning is that you can do atomic trades. Essentially, you can say, okay, if you mine this block, for if you mine this hash for me, then I'm going to give you money. And the way they do that here is... They, I think they're saying that if this sidechain block appears in the Bitcoin blockchain, then I'm going to give you money. And so that does require a soft fork, because normally what you do with Lightning is you're saying, if you reveal the secret to me, I'm going to give you the money. Or if you reveal the secret to the blockchain, the money is mine, essentially. Mm -hmm. But the problem with revealing a secret is, well, somebody could mine a block, and then the secret is revealed because the block exists and it has a secret in it. But now the block gets reorged. So if you want to incentivize miners to make sure that block does not get reorked, then it's not enough to just reveal a secret because the secret can't be disappeared again when there's a reorg. The secret yeah. is just known. So the soft fork would consist of something like saying, does this thing exist in the Coinbase? So, so yeah. there has to be some sort of check to see some sort of state in the Coinbase. Yeah. So does this also mean that on the on the drive chain side chain there would only be one block for each bitcoin block one block every 10 minutes basically yeah, yeah there's there's for every so there could be multiple drive chains right so there could be sure. multiple blocks for every drive chain but for every drive chain there can only be one block per bitcoin block i see yeah yeah i mean you could probably have blocks in between but they just wouldn't be enforced by bitcoin consensus so they probably wouldn't be very valuable yeah, you'd have to have some. I mean, theoretically, there are ways probably to get that to happen, but. Well, that's what yeah, RSK that's does. Not... RSK sort of uses the same strategy as yeah. a Bitcoin mining pool, where yeah. there are sort of almost well, blocks that count. But, but to really have it enforced, the sidechain would probably need proof of work itself to have at least some security on those yeah. intermediate blocks. But then the, the reason why Bitcoin has 10 minute blocks is, you know, because otherwise the orphan rate gets too high. Yeah. So I don't think that there's much utility in having faster blocks. So spe specific to RSK, they use a federation, right? So the federation can sign blocks faster. And then every 10 minutes, you kind of checkpoint in whatever the federation signed in the past 10 minutes into the Bitcoin blockchain, and then it becomes irreversible. So it's sort of it's sort of like a level of security that you have, right? Where it, first the federation signs and then you assume eventually it appears in the Bitcoin blockchain. And yeah, you can take that as already having consensus as soon as the federation signs, essentially. Yeah, but but if we don't want federations, which I think in the yeah. drive chain concept, we don't. Yeah. Uh, you need something. But to be clear, the, the BIP 301 about blind merge mining suggests one approach that uses Lightning that 
I think clearly requires a soft fork, and I think Paul also agreed on that. Yeah. But they describe other mechanisms to do this type of auctioning, where basically the, the game is like, if you create a block for me, then here's some money. And yeah. I guess there's there's various ways of doing it, but you probably need some way to prove that something exists in a block. So either a way to verify a, a Merkle proof or something else. But that, that that itself would be a generic soft fork, right? Being yeah. able to verify a Merkle proof. Yeah. So the, the BIP is a bit short on details. I'm just going to say that. Yeah, fair enough. It's also a bit of an implementation detail, though, isn't it? Like, it, mm. this is a solvable thing? No, no, it's not. Because the problem with a lot of these concepts, we had this, this issue with, and this is not really comparable, but I just want to illustrate a point. You had Vitalik pitching quantum computer simulators. Mm. and That sounds brilliant. Yes. <laughs> but the details really, really matter. Because you can give yourself the illusion that you've solved the problem, but actually you have shoved the problem somewhere in a in a corner that you call implementation detail but then if you go into that little corner implementation detail you get confronted with the original problem again same with the oracle problem that a lot of of other chains have they think oh we solved the oracle problem but there are still some implementation details left and it's like oh yeah crap actually we have not solved the oracle problem so no i would not say that the lacking details matter but they have implemented some of this stuff i think just not the lightning variant yeah i think uh, you know like it, it depends on the on the situation right and at least like my feeling here is that the implementation details are not going to get in the way of whether or not this works but yeah maybe i'm wrong that's often no, you may be well. right yeah. and especially because there are multiple proposals for blind merge mining that could all be fit into this puzzle yeah 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 i think that's what i was getting at i Personally, I think the other part of the drive chain proposal is actually the more interesting one. So the important thing is, for listeners that don't know this, the coins on the drive chain, on the sidechain, are supposed to have the same value as Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And for that, it's necessary that you can move the coins to the sidechain as well as back. Exactly. And that's sort of the trick of drive chain. Yeah. Yes, because the last time we talked about blind merge mining and sidechain, we had this perpetual one-way check, which, you know, proof of pain or other, other <laughs> yeah. terms that you use for it, the money would basically go into the sidechain, but it would never come back. Yeah. And that, you know, we talked about that in some yeah. length there. I see that as problematic. Other people see maybe it, it's it, possible. But in this it, case, at the very least, I mean, at the very least, it's very limiting, right? Like the, the drive chain's concept is just superior in terms of functionality. So definitely, if you have a secure way of moving your Bitcoins back to the Bitcoin blockchain, that's really, yeah, the best thing. Yeah, so I, I guess maybe we want to quickly do a high-level view again, because now I think I get it. There's two things you want to do with a good sidechain. One is you want to be able to produce blocks and like recognize which blocks are official. That's what blind merge mining does. And the other is move coins in and out of that yeah. specific sidechain. And that is what this other bit that we're going to talk about, the yeah. hash rate escrow, does. Yeah. Those two separate things. Yes, and uh, yeah, that's definitely kind of the, the key part of sidechains. Moving your coins into a sidechain is easy. It's just freezing your coins or, or like my proposal, burning your coins. Essentially just sending it to a Bitcoin address. Sending it to a Bitcoin ad address, yeah, that is... The question then is, when are these Bitcoins going to be spendable again? And that's the peg out, right? So yes, something... Yes, you mean when are they going to be spendable on the Bitcoin blockchain again? Yes. Yeah, so yes. you send them to an address. At that point, everyone knows, okay, now there are these coins are really on the sidechain, so they cannot move on the Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah. And then at some point, when you're done on the sidechain, you should be able to lock them on the sidechain or burn them there or whatever. And then they should be movable on the Bitcoin blockchain again. Yeah, and that's really the key, right? So how does the Bitcoin blockchain know who owns the coins on the sidechain, on the drive chain, 
and are these coins that are somebody's suggesting hey i'm gonna spend these these bitcoins that were on the side chain and and they're unfrozen again yeah now i'm gonna send them to my own cold storage yeah and then how does the bitcoin blockchain know that this is a valid transaction that yeah. this is allowed and, and there is a naive way of doing it which is i think good to point out which is that everybody who runs bitcoin also runs the sidechain but if you do that it's not really a sidechain the whole point of the sidechain is that you can separate the two and you don't have to run both so then we're violating really the core principle and it becomes more like a block size increase so we want to avoid that well worse than a block size increase because we've just said we can have arbitrary rules on that sidechain so yeah, we have a block size increase and a rule complexity increase. Yeah, I mean, generally, I guess people call that an ex extension block, right? That's roughly mm -hmm. the same proposal uh, where you have a s separate space inside of the Bitcoin blockchain that can have different rules. Yeah, you have multiple, I guess, yeah, uh, but, ways of looking at it. But if you consider SegWit an extension block, I guess uh, in that yeah, direction. Yeah, I, I don't, but yeah. Okay, but but okay, but then you know, SegWit has to. We're, really we're getting off the rails. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Back to the rails. Yes. Aaron. Yeah, so the idea of a sidechain is that the people who want to use the sidechain can use the sidechain, and the people that don't want to use the sidechain don't need to care about the sidechain. Yeah. Still, somehow, the coins must only move on the Bitcoin blockchain when the legitimate owner of the sidechain says they should move, yeah. and not everyone on the Bitcoin blockchain knows who's the legitimate owner yeah. or any of these details. Yeah. Okay, so Ruben, how is this solved? Hash rate escrow. So that's the way Paul calls it in BIP300. Essentially, there is a very simple rule that says you give your money to the miners and the miners can spend it, but very slowly. Over the course of three to six months, the Bitcoin miners are going to vote on whether or not they want to allow a, one of these transactions to be spent. So let's say I, I come out of a, a sidechain and I send a transaction to the Bitcoin blockchain. I say, hey, I want to spend this UTXO that came from a specific drive chain. Then the miners can say like, okay, well, we're going to vote on it. And every time a miner creates a block, it says, okay, sure. Yeah, this is a valid peg out. And after three months or six months, if half, roughly half of the miners have said, yes, this is a valid peg out, then I get my coins. So that's- Well, yeah. I, I think, so miners can do three things. Miners can mm -hmm. vote in favor of the transaction. Yeah. They can ignore it or they can vote against it. Yeah. So if it's like half-half, it's going to take forever. Yeah, it, it's uh, theoretically it can be worse, right? Because if you have like, you, you have to have 50% yes votes, but every no votes brings you back again. Yes. So yeah, so definitely you need like- yeah. There can be multiple competing pegout transactions, right? So what happens yeah. is the sidechain miner or whoever proposes says, hey, I'd like to move these coins back to the Bitcoin blockchain. And another one does another proposal and then miners start voting on those. And presumably they would take whatever is most favorable for them, but they also want to make sure it's not violating the rules of the sidechain. So yeah. I, I don't want to immediately dive into the catch-22 here, but yeah. let, let's go into this process a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. First, first of all, let's say 100% of miners agree with the transaction. How long is it going to take in that case? In that case, it only takes three months. If right. everybody votes, yes. So, and then if it's like half of the miners and the other half doesn't care, then it takes yeah. about six months. Yeah. And if it's like half of the miners vote in favor and half against, then it's going to take forever. Anything That's worse than that, the pegout just becomes invalidated. Right. After six months, you're, you're done. Right. So what percentage of miners can block this? So it really, it's always a majority, right? That can make this happen. Yeah, because there, there's always the possibility of reorging the Bitcoin blockchain. So a no votes can be reorged out by 51% of the miners. So 
in any case, 51% of the miners can always make a peg out go through, uh, regardless of this mechanism. But if, if you assume there's not going to be any Bitcoin reorgs, then you need, it depends on how many no votes there are, right? For every no vote, you need a yes vote, and you need 50% yes votes. Okay, my math is not that amazing. <laughs> um, Hopefully I'm right. <laughs> So I've, another thing that was in the bib that maybe we should mention is that how do you even make these these drive chains or do, do we want to go somewhere else first? Yeah, let's go somewhere else first. Okay. Okay. First question, Ruben, why wouldn't miners just steal the coins for themselves? Yeah, that's a that's, that's really. I think that's the main question, that's, that's right? That's the question we've been kind of ignoring up until now, <laughs> which is definitely the big question here. So the main reason why drive chains would work really all depend on on this argument which is that miners should want the sidechain to exist because they get fees from it and because it, the value of bitcoin itself goes up in value if there are all these sidechains out there that people can use so we need miners to want the chain to exist and to want to basically give people their pegouts when they ask for it other than that, there, there is no reason. So it's really a question of incentives. And if the incentives are aligned, the sidechain gets to exist. If the incentives are not aligned, the sidechain just dies. And I guess this also, this creates two things. This creates a collective action problem, I think, because you might have one miner that says, I don't care about this sidechain and I don't care about the future. So I'm going to take the most money, even if that's an illegal transaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, that's, I think, the collective action problem, right? Well, I so mean, if yeah. if um, if a majority of miners do feel that these sidechains are worth keeping around for the long term, they're not going to take the short term profit of theft. Yeah, and they're going to punish other miners who do try to do that. Yeah, or not punish, but at least they're going to actively vote against that type of behavior. Yeah, because you might have a situation where, in the beginning, say only one percent of the miners care. In the beginning, there's not enough money at all, so maybe no miner does anything with the sidechain stuff. Then yeah. there's enough fees out there that some miners will start flagging this thing because they would like to have that other revenue, then other miners might just passively copy whatever those first miners are doing because they would like the extra free revenue. Why not? Yeah. Then at some point, somebody starts cheating and then the other miners, one miner starts cheating or starts cooperating with a cheat, either deliberately or accidentally because he's not checking. Yeah. So then the game develops from there. Yeah. The question then kind of becomes... How do these Bitcoin miners make sure that the pegouts that they're choosing are correct or not? And this is kind of a mechanism that is not really explicitly laid out, but essentially uh, the idea is that the Bitcoin miners want to do the right thing. They want the chain to exist. That, that's our assumption. And if, if there is some kind of pegout, they're, they're being lazy and they're moving a pegout forward that's not supposed to be moved forward, then presumably somebody will talk to the miner and say like, hey, what you're doing is incorrect, please go and check. And the first check that they can do is an SPV check. So they can take the drive chain and they can just download the headers. And inside of the header, it's also contained the pegout transaction. So you get an SPV proof of whether the pegout is valid or not. So this is not a guarantee, but it means that 51% of the miners of the drive chain, they think that the pegout is valid. And then if that's not good enough, they would have to go and basically run the full drive chain and, and check. So, but this would require on someone telling the miner that something's up. 
Like something, yeah. so it's not purely blockchain based in that case. Someone has to contact them through IRC or whatever it is. Yeah, it's it's kind of a assumption of good behavior. So you're assuming that nothing is going wrong, and if something is going wrong, you're assuming that somebody will out there will kind of give you a, a nudge and be like, "Hey, uh, do some extra work here because uh, it, it's not going right." Right, but then then the question is, what becomes the equilibrium? Yeah, right? one equilibrium could be. Okay, now all miners have to check all SPV proofs all the time because otherwise people will constantly be cheating them because yeah. there is no cost to cheating. True. Anybody can suggest, I think everybody in the world can suggest a transaction that takes all the money out of every single drive chain and sends it to them personally. Yeah. And the only cost for that is, is zero, I think. They just broadcast the transaction. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it has to confirm. There has to be a, I mean, that it's action, zero. yeah, the ex- action needs to be in the Bitcoin blockchain. So they need to roughly send one transaction to the Bitcoin blockchain. Per right. So there's probably, yeah. you know, at least going to be somebody who does that out of, as a matter of principle. Yeah. Well, the question is, do they get the votes, right? Are the miners going to vote on that peg out? No, but they're, they're going to, the problem is that the miners, because somebody's doing that, they have to do the SPV checking unless they know who, who this bully is and they systematically ignore this, this bully. Yeah, if you assume all miners are lazy and they do nothing, except for maybe one miner out there, and that miner is voting on the right thing, and all the other miners are just like, oh, let's just follow that guy, then the equilibrium actually works out. Okay, yeah, if you have one non-lazy vote miner who actually checks the yeah. original chain yeah. at some level, and the other miners lazily follow, yeah, that, that could yeah. be, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely, definitely, like the worst case is that every Bitcoin miner is also a drive chain full node user and then you get back to the problem that you described earlier about the merge mining yeah that's what i yesterday i think uh, in the preparation called it the catch-22 so yeah if we if you get to a situation where every miner has to verify every drive chain in detail not just spv we just lost the entire benefit of blind merge mining yeah yeah but what, it's not guaranteed that that's going to happen but no. that is a big concern yeah what happened to the uasf solution yeah because i do remember paul talking about this at some point yeah. where if miners t- try to steal the coins then drive chain users could deploy a USF to stop the coins from moving on the Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah, so that is a, a theoretical possibility, which is good to kind of go through, I guess. So it's theoretically possible that miners try to steal all the coins from a sidechain that is quite popular. And then all the sidechain users, which are also Bitcoin users, they say like, hey, look, miner, if you let this transaction go through, we're just going to reject that block that will spend this transaction. So don't do that because we're going to basically threaten to fork off of Bitcoin. And if you want to keep these users here with the Bitcoin blockchain, you got to do what we say. And it's presumably a UASF because like what we're assuming is kind of similar to the SegWit situation where we don't really know whether there's like a majority who's going to enforce this. If, if the majority of the Bitcoin users threaten that, then it would work out. But the assumption is that with sidechains, you don't have a majority of users. You have all these niches, right? You have all these these smaller amounts of users. So maybe yeah. you know, optimistically you have and like not, 20%. And not an intransigent minority either because it yeah. is, it's, it's not a sort of randomly distributed subset across all Bitcoin users mm-hmm. like you might have with the original UASF movement where... You don't really know who, who's going to be resisting it. But here you know, well, only the people who actually care about this sidechain are going to be the ones protesting, but the rest of the network doesn't care yeah. and does not want to pay the very high price of a of a like large reorgs that you would have to suffer. Because in order to do a UASF, you have to be willing to actually come through with you know 
reorging blocks and quite a lot with these drive chains. Yeah. I think. I mean, I guess there could be like an Maybe optimal, not. there could be like a, the best situation possible, which again, like, I don't think this, this works at all, but theoretically you could say like, okay, well, everybody who is a Bitcoiner wants this drive chain to exist because even though they don't use it themselves, they're happy that the Bitcoin price is higher than it would have been if this drive chain didn't exist. So they are happily kind of going along with this UASF, something like that. But, but the yeah. cost is really high, right? Because a UASF means yeah. you have, if it goes wrong, yeah. you have multiple exchanges listing different coins. You have history yeah. disappearing from under your wallet where you thought you got a coin and then it got replayed on the other side. Like, yeah. This is not a cheap thing. So you, no. you better be really dedicated to whatever that sidechain represents. It, it, all, it represents yeah. like a clone of Ethereum. I don't know if I'd you know, be <laughs> yeah. willing to die on that hill. Well, the idea behind the intolerant minority is that the majority shouldn't really care either way. They shouldn't really care which chain wins. But the cost and has then, to be low to that majority. So in the mm, case of the yeah, co but, kosher food, for example, it's a very low cost to, to drink kosher soft drinks. But it's not a low cost to like no longer eat meat, if that was the Sure. Yeah. But... Yes. The non-USF chain can reorg into nothing, while the USF chain cannot. So it's not like staying on the original chain is not going to come at a cost or anything. And I mean, the argument here would be that it, it's a UASF or any soft fork is safe as long as the majority of users or the economic majority enforces it. So if everybody is really in line and doing the soft fork, then theoretically would be safe. But I mean, we're talking about all this, but you know, in practice. And, and this is also that something that Paul Stortz said. Eventually, he was like, well, I don't really think that this is the security of, of a drive chain. It's not that we expect users to fork away from Bitcoin in order to enforce miners doing something. No, the answer is really if miners try to take the money, then that is just game over for that specific drive chain. Well, yeah. not just for that specific drive chain, but potentially for yeah, all drive chains true. because it would undermine trust yeah. in drive chains altogether. So maybe that's a good moment to go to where I was trying to sidetrack the conversation go for it, In this latest proposal from two years ago, I think, everybody can propose a new drive chain. Now there's, there's 256 yeah, 256 slots so one 8-bit basically thing for it. Everybody can propose a new one and the rule is that if my, by broadcasting some sort of transaction or, or thing and the rule is that if enough miners say, okay, we, we like this proposal it'll get activated so it's kind of like soft forks but in this case miners are really i think really voting whereas they're not signaling readiness but they're, they're kind of really having an opinion about it because it's their potential revenue so they can do an initial assessment of how viable is this this sidechain concept and if these slots all get filled then i believe there is a six month window in which you can simply override an existing slot and mm. disappear that entire drive chain from from existence. There may be some caveats there. But that means you can have some sort of auction of viability. So initially, you might have 256 completely useless drive chains because the miners are like, yeah, whatever, it's free revenue, we'll, we'll give it a shot. And then they start dying and dying and dying, but a couple of them don't die. And so eventually, the slots get taken up by very viable drive chains. Yeah. So you have some evolutionary pressure there to, yeah. to make it work, to find yeah. a way to make it work. Yeah, there's a limited number of slots for, for these chains. Yeah, that's all I have. I, I want to I mention one other thing because we haven't mentioned that. So you can move into the sidechain by sending coins to an address. You move out of the sidechain by having miners do this voting thing, which takes like six months. But I want to clarify that 
if you are using if you want to use the sidechain or if you want to leave the sidechain it doesn't necessarily mean you have to send your own coins yeah, to that address that's good or point. wait six months oh yeah you can just exchange your bitcoin with someone who's already on the sidechain or you know for an exchange or through an htlc for immediate trustless transfers yeah yeah and we already see some of that in action for liquid for example yeah. right there, there are ways to directly swap in and out of liquid yeah and I guess it's specifically good to point out that with drive chains in particular, the pegout mechanism is kind of expensive and slow, right? It takes months, so your coins are going to be stuck during that period. Presumably, that means you know you can't do anything else with those coins, so that's a loss to you. And it's made in such a way that only one pegout happens per chain per period. Because of that, you kind of have to have one person making big peg-ins peg and big pegouts and well pegouts uh, mainly and then everything else everyone else just has to do atomic swaps and that's faster as well and presumably cheaper or although i guess the that will also have some kind of price premium but yeah that's the main mechanism through which you would be moving in and out of these chains as a user i noticed a small detail there that was kind of nice i think they have a rule where if you want to withdraw or deposit you deposit to one address quote-unquote on the bitcoin blockchain and you have to spend everything from that address when you do it mm. so you're basically spending the existing utxo and creating a new one in its place so there's always one utxo that represents that entire chain so you're I not see. loading the utxo space yeah which is nice and you know in, in terms of the implementation like how do you spend money that's not yours well the private key for the drive chain is just public so that's why it's really a soft fork. You're really just you have a private key that everybody knows and everybody's spending from that private key. But the you know the new soft fork rules make sure that you don't just get to spend money from a private key. Yeah. Uh, from that specific very special private key. So to voice Paul's frustration for a second, why isn't this a thing yet? Why isn't everyone working on this? Why don't <laughs> we have drive chains already? I think there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. Are is it going to happen? I mean, the universe is going to be around for another 100 billion years. So I think <laughs> it, from just from a thermodynamics uh, argument, it will happen. But um, Or maybe on my, Litecoin. <laughs> my point is, well, I think there's a couple of things. There were different proposals that, you know, this, this proposal has been around since 2007-ish. And right, 17, sorry. Right then you had SegWit was already in development. And that was the main focus both in terms of development and in terms of just mental energy, because people were just going completely nuts over all sorts of things. And SegWit made way for Lightning, which was a very strong, very, I think it was more clearly developed, even though it wasn't finished in terms of like operating, so you couldn't really know that it would work, but it conceptually was worked out very well in a lot of detail. So I think that just got priority back then. And then now we have a focus on Taproot, and even though Bitcoin is decentralized, there, there are just a very small number of developers who can actually do this, who have the time for this, who have the time to review it, who have the time to do all sorts of things around it. So even very simple soft forks. Yeah, they seem like fairly minimal soft forks, no? Well, SegWit was a very complicated soft fork. Yeah, I, I, mean, the, I mean the drive chain well, the BIPs. If I were to rank them, I would say SegWit is more complicated than drive chains. Taproot is more complicated than drive chains, although in a very different place. So I don't know if you can compare complexity in one place versus complexity in another place. Like the, there's just different trade-offs, right? You, some some places are more robust where you can make more mistakes than in others. And then you have something that's much simpler than drive chains, which is 
no Ccash, no input or whatever the uh, the latest politically any, any prev outs is the <laughs> correct name. That, yeah. that is a like I don't know twenty line soft fork. Much 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 simpler than drive chains, and also I think game theoretically much simpler. There's less like things going on with new chains coming out of nowhere. So so is this well, the oh, main well, this yeah. is the main bottleneck? Just not enough developer mind share. It is it plays in terms of complexity from code where it would need mind share. A little bit from code complexity would need probably similar mind share than Taproot does, even though it's a bit simpler. But there's other nooks and crannies that it's touching. And then, but from a impl- implication standpoint, from what is the game theory here, it's very uncertain. We just had a, a long discussion about all these things, and that you know, once it's uncertain, you have to think about it, and so you start procrastinating. So it's, it's going to go down the list if the alternative that you can work on is something that's very concrete and already. You know, thought out a little bit further, yeah. less fewer uncertainties in it. And the other thing I think is is also practical because of that. I don't think it's cause and effect here, but the proposals that we just looked at are not very detailed at all. Like I had lots of questions about it just by reading it once. You mean the BIPs? Yeah, mm. they're, they're just not flushed out enough. But of course, the reason they're not flushed flushed out enough is because not enough people are working on it. You can't have. Paul starts to do all that by himself, and he has to give these really long presentations complaining about Bitcoin Core, <laughs> which is very time-consuming. So, yeah, that's just what it is. Ruben, what do you think? Do you agree? Are there, why is not everyone working on drive chain, and why is it not a thing already? Yeah, I, I think Shors uh, hit the nail on the hat here with, I think that really that one assumption, whether the miners are going to steal or not, like for me personally, I kind of feel like it's good to give it a shot. Let's Let's try it and see how it goes. But then from an implementation perspective, it's like, well, are we going to take all these soft fork risks for something that might work and maybe won't work? And then I, I can see how it's demotivating to actually go and work on that and implement Keep it. Keep in mind what, the, what, the, uh, what, what happens if a soft fork is screwed up, right? If there's a really bad bug in it, it probably yeah. means you need a hard fork to fix that bug. Yeah. But if you ever have a hard fork for any reason, oh, man. That's, yeah. that's annoying because why don't we just fix the coin supply? So you keep yeah. so you keep discussing this in the terms of we and why don't we do the soft fork and we and I think you also mean uh, Bitcoin Core developers. I when mean, you we say, as in the world, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, but then my question is, wouldn't it be the type of soft fork that could just be hash power enforced? <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, because a, it's already depending on miners. So can't yeah. you just launch an alt client? for miners and have them do the soft fork thing and then people can use it if they want to. So it's not a Bitcoin core thing. It's right. just still creates the same technical risk because if the miners enforce something and they I, have a I, bug in their consensus code, the, the rest of the network has a problem which could plummet the price, which hurts the miners. But, so I don't think yeah. it matters whether the miners do something without... I mean, it, it makes sense for me if miners say, this sounds lucrative, let's hire a bunch of developers and really flesh out these proponents and launch mm. it on Signet and like have like a million tests for it and yeah. run all these scenarios and simulators you know and really show that this thing is robust and, and game theoretically correct that makes sense to me but if ultimately that would just make that new team would just make that team bitcoin core or whatever you want to call it because they're still developers working on the consensus code so it doesn't it just expands we and then it's the same as still we yeah, very specific to the question. The answer is actually no, it's not possible for just miners to activate it. So this is something I was also discussing with Paul Stortz prior to this show. So the 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 thing that you can't have be miner activated is the slow peg out, right? You need you need this peg out mechanism where it takes three to six months before the money can be spent. 
And if that mechanism is not user-enforced, if that's not a, a regular soft fork that our users are running, then what miners can do is they can just, somebody pegs in, miners like, oh, free money, takes the money, right? So, yeah, so miners can just agree to not allow that to happen because they just run custom soft fork software that just doesn't allow that. Yeah, they could, they could yes, but, but the difference is that 51% of the miners could take the money right away. So, so with, the, with the slow peg-up mechanism, they can do that, but they can do that slowly. And that's because that part is user enforced. So if you take out, if you take away the user enforcement part of, of that, then 51% of miners can immediately steal as opposed to after six months or three right, months. Right, because right now, if, if 51% of miners decide to cheat on any rule, they'll have the majority hash power, but nobody's going to follow it. Yeah. Because yeah. the rule is everywhere. It's in, it's in exchanges, it's in users' full notes at home. It's enforced everywhere. Yeah. Whereas a miner enforced software is a, a software that only exists among the miners themselves. Mm. And users have no incentive to care. They'll just follow the biggest hash power that follows their rules, not yep. the miners' rules. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so Ruben, you sounded mildly positive. Let's try it. Well, I mean, as a, an ex experiment, I'm all for it. But is it worth the consensus risks? In that part, I'm I'm less optimistic. So, so that's kind of why I'm like half half about it. And I definitely like I'm not optimistic in the sense that I, I don't think it's guaranteed that it would work, right? But I would like to see it, basically. If I can add another worry, I'm worried about more politics when you have more sidechains. Just mm. more politics in general that spill over to Bitcoin. Right now, you know, on certain altcoins there is drama all the time. Or not on every altcoin all the time, but I mean there's always some drama on some altcoin. Mm -hmm. But that drama is contained to that altcoin. So if I don't know, the SEC goes after Ripple that's very unpleasant for Ripple, but there's not a subset of Ripplers that suddenly start lobbying Bitcoin Core developers to issue a soft fork to do something about whatever the SEC is doing to them, to unfreeze some coins, to overwrite some minor decision, because they have this consensus problem, or not a consensus problem, but a legal problem that might be fixable through some consensus change. They're going to start lobbying, and even if they fail, they are going to start lobbying. So well, I, Paul Storch's argument is the exact opposite. Okay, is that the, the side chains work as sort of an escape valve for all the drama? Like, if you want to have bigger blocks, then you don't have to lobby Bitcoin Core developers but, to but increase the, the blocks. The problem is you just create a side chain with bigger blocks and have fun on your side chain over there. The problem is that the escape valve already exists, which is called an ICO. Or just like uh, you mean an altcoin, an altcoin. Yeah, but Paul doesn't like that. He yeah, likes the 21 million the limits, is, as do I. I agree with him on that. But the problem is the escape valve is already already exists in the world. So there are already altcoins, and they have drama. So by having drive change, you might actually draw those people towards Bitcoin, because they're already away from Bitcoin. Now you're going to draw these people towards Bitcoin because you're making it more attractive for them to use Bitcoin. So I, I, you know, if altcoins are dumb, though, sure. It won't yes. give, we want to give people a better option on altcoins. We yeah. want to have them at least use Bitcoin, even though they but, want big blocks or I'm Ethereum saying, smart contracting solutions. But what I'm saying is that by having altcoins exist and be a reasonable option, the drama goes to those altcoins. By having Bitcoin be supportive of other other things, the drama goes to Bitcoin because like there's only a fixed if there's only a fixed amount of drama in the world, and right now it's all in the altcoins. <laughs> you know, if we if we add more if we get more of the market cap and more of the functionality from those altcoins we migrate that drama towards bitcoin i, I think we're talking but about this, different types of drama as well because yeah. you're talking about like regulatory drama no just consensus bug drama 
I mean, let's say Ethereum was a hard mm -hmm. uh, was a drive chain of of Bitcoin, and they had this DAO bug, and they were not so somehow not able to fix that just on their end. They really needed something on the Bitcoin side to happen. Well, then they would have lobbied Bitcoin Core developers. Okay. It's well, a, it takes yeah. away another type of drama, at least, or at least that's Paul's argument. I'm not even yeah. sure if I agree with that fully. Well, I think it's overselling it a bit. One day we'll because, be able to because I know big blockers that do want bigger blocks but don't want a sidechain. They want bigger blocks on the main chain, so it wouldn't take away that drama. Well, I mean, that seems like kind of an irrational argument because the big blocker argument, and I think that's a good point from Paul Storz's uh, on Paul Storz's part, where for big blockers, it, they, their argument really is you can trust the miners and don't worry about validation and stuff. The miners will take care of you. you run SPV, it's fine. And if that's your argument, then you should also consider drive chains to be secure because it's the same exact idea, basically. So yeah, they should, but they don't. Yeah, so I, I agree that they're they're irrational people with irrational arguments, but you know, like, I can't help those people. That's <laughs> that's their problem. Right. Well, that's kind of the point. Like you can't. <laughs> it's, it's a drama, help. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, one day we'll uh, we'll be able to move around with our little mobile podcast equipment. You know, when the apocalypse is over. And, and we we'll can be able to ask Mr. Storz himself. We can actually ask him <laughs> so he doesn't have to be annoyed listening yeah. to our podcast, watching his proposal. <laughs> terrible so far, we've always been doing these these podcasts in person, and we're a little reluctant to start doing them via video calls. So mm. we'll wait. Yeah. All right. I think that's our podcast then for now. Cool. Anything to close off, Ruben? Well, I guess just a little shout out to Soft Chains. I've announced something that is kind of a variant of Drive Chains, so to speak. It's called soft chains, and yeah, maybe we can dedicate another episode to that some other time. But that's a whole another can of worms, so I'm not going to go into it now. But if anyone wants a sneak preview, they can look it up on the internet. Okay, well, in that case, thank you for listening to the Van Weerdom Shores NATO. There you go. There you go.